So let me uh, begin uh, with prayer, and we can ask God to, to walk us through our study this morning. Father, we thank you that you are attentive, that you are here, that you're present. Uh, we also thank you, God, that you are our victorious king, and that you are the one who reigns supremely over heaven and earth, and you are in charge right now, and you are working out your perfect plan, and we thank you for that, God, and we do pray that we would be strengthened today when we study the Word of God and we understand more about the spiritual war that is taking place in our world and what our role is. Would you lead us and guide us, God? I pray it would be helpful to everyone here. I pray that no matter what people are going through, that they would find comfort in, uh, in deepening their understanding and also seeing um, that we would have a clear sight of Christ, the victor, and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I think you were all pretty excited that we win, right? Yeah, we look at the spiritual warfare in the Bible and, and the reality of when we come and we read the last book of the Bible, it's so encouraging to know that, that we win. Uh, it's intense. It's um, as long as this world is in existence from its beginning until the new heavens and the new earth, uh, this battle is raging, but it's so important to uh, know that that we win. I'm wondering if you've ever um, maybe done like I have and you've watched a ball game after it's over. You already know who wins and no matter how close it is and intense you're not worried at all. Like you already know your team won. So if you were watching it live it would feel very nerve-wracking because you're like I'm not sure that I think we're gonna lose, I think we're gonna lose, I think we're gonna lose. But if you've already know the score and you're watching it because you won and you're celebrating you're not nervous at all. And I think that's the picture that we can see as Christians, that we see what's going on, but God has told us already clearly, revealed to us. The same Bible that reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God also is the Bible that reveals to us that Jesus Christ is victorious and that all who are in Christ are victorious. So I think uh, in the introduction, in the notes, if you're heading into a highly stressful, extremely difficult situation... Would it, be, would it help to know the result will be everything you're hoping for? Well, in our case, it's better than what we're hoping for. And so today we're going to um, talk about this. I, my outline looks very intimidating, so don't worry about it because I'm going to go through it kind of fast. I just wanted to give you the content. There's no way I can stop and look up all these scriptures, but I wanted to give them to you because I want you to see... I want you to see them compounded just one upon another, upon another, upon another uh, about some of the things that sometimes we, we tend to overlook. And so my first point is that the entire book of Revelation is written that Christians might know that we win and Satan is crushed. That's the, um, some people come to the book of Revelation and they get all out of sorts and, and then some people go one direction, some people go another, some people are... Um, trying to figure out all the in, intricate little details and they get hung up in places and, and they spend their whole life and they, get, they have way more books on eschatology than they do the gospel. Okay, they're just law. They might have 42 books on the end times, but they don't know how to share their faith with their next door neighbor. And so, but the point that we get when we come to this book, one thing that is pat, patently clear to anyone who reads the last book of the Bible is, is that Jesus Christ wants us to know that he wins that we win. If we're united to Christ, we win. Okay, so I, I want you to uh, realize from the very beginning of the book of Revelation, if you will look at verse 3 in chapter 1, it tells us that 
we ought to read this book. If you want to be blessed, and I'm sure you're interested in being blessed, it's one of the ways to be blessed is to read the last book of the Bible. It says in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written for the time is near. So there's a blessing for you if you will just begin by reading the Bible. I, I think reading the Bible as a whole is a blessing and also reading the last book of the Bible. So if you want to be blessed, here's a good, here's a good charge for this week. Read this, read this last book of the Bible and, and start beginning to breathe in that air of victory that's there. I know your head's going to split a few times as you go through it because there's some stuff and you're going, what in the world is that talking about? And the longer you're a Christian, the more you'll begin to see pieces of it and you'll begin to go, oh, that sounds like Ezekiel, that sounds like Daniel, that sounds like Jesus' prophecies and uh, his uh, sermon on the Mount of Olivet and and you start getting these pieces together and like, wow, it all sounds like the same, the same storyline through the Bible. And you'll begin to pick those themes up. But you need to read it because it is a gift to us from the Lord Jesus. If you look at the last uh, chapter of the Bible and the last chapter of Revelation, uh, Jesus has this to say um, in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So it's like, I want you to have this book. I want you to read it, and it's really going to help you understand the journey that you're going to be in. So I want to mention that Jesus, I want us to see for a minute Jesus in Revelation. And I want you to see all the ways that he's described. He is the hero and the star. We meet him in the very beginning chapter. We see Jesus, and he is described in verses 4 to 8. Uh, grace to you and peace from Him. It's referring to Jesus who is and was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us. Now think about this being the description of your Savior. Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. And made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every knee will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And then it just, that theme in different variations and different ways of describing, adding to this description of Jesus just runs throughout uh, the book of Revelation. And so we see him as the hero and the, the star. Uh, we see him, he's the object of endless worship in Revelation 4 and 5. The saints bow before Jesus Christ and they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, who shed his blood. Worthy is he who is all authority and power and glory. And they're just falling down before him. Do any of y'all like that scene in the Bible? That's one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is the saints worshiping God. And when we, when we do that, sometimes we get a little taste, just a little taste. But can I tell you, there's no way that what we do here, no matter how good it gets, is even begins to approach the glory of what we're going to feel when we're there in this assembly of people worshiping God. We're just going to have our emotions are going um, to be able to contain, to, uh, um, to ex be expressed in ways that we just, we're just beginning to get a little taste. Think about your most glorious moment in worshiping God and the presence of God. And that's just like a little, a little tiny taste of the, the, 
the fullness of the explosion of joy and praise that's going to come from you uh, is just a little taste. And I, I love that picture. And Jesus is the one who's that object worthy. He is the one worthy of such praise, um, endless praise in, in the book of Revelation. He is the eternal king. And in Revelation 12, 5, this is the chapter we read this morning, Jesus is referred to as the, a male child, the one that's born of this woman. Revelation 12 opens with a description of a, a woman who's pregnant and she has the 12 stars which reflects more than likely the, the nations of Israel like out of the womb of Israel and the 12 tribes as God had prophesied would come this one and uh, the one who in verse 5 who will rule all nations with a rod of iron which is, ties that directly to a prophecy in, Act, in uh, Psalm 2. Um, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. So it's, it's referring to Jesus and His um, being born of a woman and that then we meet this red dragon in a, and we'll look at him in, in a minute. But right now, Jesus is the one that's more important than the, than the red dragon. And he is the eternal king born of a woman. We find a little bit later in chapter 19 that he is the rider on the white horse. He is the one that all the other riders follow. He is the general. He's the one out front. He's the one that comes to conquer and defeat. And Revelation pictures him returning soon. In Revelation 22, 7, um, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So there's a little picture of Jesus. And we'll come back to our picture of Jesus at the end. But now, because we're talking about spiritual warfare, I would say that most of us, and rightly so, spend a whole lot more time studying about Jesus than we do studying about Satan. But one of the problems we make is that some people don't study about Satan at all. And they don't understand the spiritual warfare and they can become very naive. And Jesus says, Jesus himself warns us that we shouldn't be naive. And Jesus is the one that wrote the Word of God. Jesus is the one that's given us the Word of God. And the Word of God contains lots of information about our enemy. I don't know how involved you've ever been with sports, but if you're a coach, especially high school level and beyond, uh, you spend hours looking at film before a game. Before you play a team, you'll spend hours looking at the game film to you know the, what plays do they run, what do they do in certain situations. Um, who's their star player? Does he go left or does he go right? Does the, what do they do in these situations? And coaches will spend far more hours watching film than they will playing their opponent on a Friday night or Tuesday night or whatever night the game is. And it's because they have to feel like they need to understand the strategy that's coming at them in order to be ready for game day. And so many Christians never study game film. They don't go back and look at what's been going on in the world, what's going on, and what, is, what are Satan's strategies, and who is he, and what has he tended to do over history, and what has he done in the biblical history. Like, what are, what are his stories? Where has he attacked people, and where has he gained the upper hand on people, and where have people overcome him, and what are some of his weaknesses? And so that's the intent of this uh, series. So the first thing I want us to do is we're going to look at Satan as he is depicted in the book of Revelation. Then we'll move on to say, well, does that fit with the picture we see in, in the rest of Scripture? 
So in the book of Revelation alone, we meet the great red dragon who wants to kill the Son of God. And he was defeated in heaven and thrown to earth. That's in Revelation. These first ones are all in Revelation chapter 12. Um, let, let me read verse 3 and 4 because I think that's helpful. Another sign appeared in heaven. Now remember, John is having a vision. This is being revealed to him, and he's entered into this powerful, powerful vision of God. And he sees in chapter 12 a sign that appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head are seven diadems. So on the seven heads there are seven crowns, which reveals kings or rulers or nations. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon that stood before the woman was about to give birth so that when she bore a child he might devour it. So he hates the Son of God. And from the get-go he wanted to kill and was plotting. And don't we find that in, in the, the Gospels? That... That Jesus, when Jesus was born, there were already enemies. There was Satan already had a strategy to take him out, and he tried to um, he tried to bring reproach upon his mother by saying she would, you know, he wanted her to be married, have a child out of wedlock. Um, he wanted Joseph to divorce her, and then when he couldn't do that, and he's like, well, where were they born? And he tried to kill all the infants in Bethlehem. He, he murdered other babies trying to murder the Son of God, and then. They had to go to Egypt and then his whole life he's under attack as Satan is trying to attack him. And, um, and then if you want to know in verse 9 it says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And so that's a description of this, this great dragon in the book of Revelation is Satan. And he is the accuser of God's people. That's one of the things that Satan does. He, he'll accuse you. Ever you been accused of Satan? Satan accuse you. You worthless piece of nothing. You're no child of God. You're just a liar and a cheater. And he goes back to your past to who you used to be. And he says, no, you're still that. You're still that scumbag. You're still, you're still uh, um, a, a prostitute. You're an immoral man, an immoral woman. You're a drunkard. You're a druggie. You're a slanderer. You're a liar, and he accuses you of, uh, and he make, and then also he says you're no child of God. You're not. How can you? You you've sinned this week. You've sinned today. You're in the middle of sin right now, and he starts accusing, and it's one of his favorite tricks, and he especially accuses the people of God, and then he we find that he's very furious and impatient. And verse twelve tells us it's because he knows that his time is short. In verse twelve. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He's in a hurry. He's going crazy. He's trying to do as much mayhem and much destruction as he possibly can, and he has no time to rest, no time to sit back, no time to relax. He's like, I've got a, this window of time, and I'm going to do all the damage I can to the name of God and to the people of God and to the purposes of God. And so he's just raging uh, and then he makes constant war, especially against those born of God. In verse 17, those who love God, then the, 
dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's the people of God. So Satan has you in his uh, focus. He, we're in his scope. It's like what is his target? His favorite target is Christians. And then he loves, he loves to attack Christians, but he also loves to attack non-believers from even becoming a Christian. If, like, if he can keep you from becoming a Christian, that's his ultimate glory. And then if he can mess with you as a Christian so that you're not honoring and glorifying God and walking in joy, then, then he's going to set you in his sight. Uh, and he is constantly, it's one of his great delights is to see Christians stumble and fall and, and hopeless and fearful and feeling unattached to God. Uh, number six, he loved to use religion to deceive millions. Um, it's interesting in chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 9, that's the section with the seven churches of Christ, the seven letters, and he talks about these people who think they're part of the kingdom of God and they think they go to good churches and he calls them synagogues of Satan. Pretty strong language. You call a church building and go, that's a synagogue of Satan. Can you imagine how the people in that church are going to respond to you? It's like, well, who do you think you are? Calling us a synagogue of Satan. And you're so self-righteous and the, the war starts, but the Bible's not at all afraid to call out places and say, that's a synagogue of Satan. That is not a true church of God. They're not walking in the light of God's word. There are plenty of places that call themselves, they call themselves churches of Christ, and God calls them synagogues of Satan because they're not walking in the word of God and they're really not committed to God. They're committed to religion. And Christianity is as good a place for them to park as any other religion. To them, in the eyes of God, it's no different than a, a Hindu temple and a synagogue of Satan with a Christian name on front. Only God knows the difference. Like God knows which one is which. And, well, when I say only God, and, I, and God will give you discernment as well to know which is which. Um, but the point is there's plenty of people who think they're actually... It said they think they're Jews, but they're synagogues of Satan. Like they thought they were walking with the God of Abraham. And he says, you're synagogue of Satan. And that happens all the time in churches. There's a lot of buildings in Jackson County that have the name church on it. And some of them are synagogues of Satan. Um, that's how clever Satan is. He uses that, that religion, that spirit of religion in people and they just, they just love it. And he's like, they're not, they're not, they're not walking with God if they don't truly know Christ. And um, so be, be, be discerning. Then um, verse 5, he, he makes constant war on those who are born of God. He loves to use religion to deceive millions. Um, how, how many of you, there are some, um, and I don't know that I'm going to recommend any in particular, but I don't know, I, I got on this little kick lately as I've been doing spiritual warfare and I've gone back and watched some of these special programs and documentaries on some of these um, cults and churches and church leaders and it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Millions, millions of people. I, I was watching one, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the church, um, but it was in the Hispanic world, and they are like 5 million followers in churches, 200 different um, cities. This place had this huge, uh, I mean, you've got the Mormon tabernacle. You've got 
who knows how many Mormons. You've got Jehovah's Witnesses. You've got, um, have, you, have any of you ever seen a picture of people worshiping in a, um, one of those, like at Mecca, and this is like huge, like an unbelievable number of people just gathered and they've made their pilgrimage to, to Mecca or they're, they're around the Dome of the Rock or they're, um, maybe they're over in, um, you know, remember Sun Young Moon and uh, that cult leader and you've got all these people. How in the world does all these people end up following people like this? It's because we are, we are unbreakably religious. And Satan knows that. He knows that religion is in us and so he just easily can lead. If we're not careful, he can lead people who are not connected to God into a religious atmosphere and setting where they think all is well. And there are billions, billions of people in the world who are religious and lost. And that's Satan. Satan is the one behind that. Satan pushes religion like crazy. And then um, number seven, he tortures Christians. He tortures Christians and throws some of them into prison. And in Revelation 2.10, he's warning them. It says, like, some of you are going to be thrown into prison. So there's people right now. Are you aware of this? You know this, right? You know that there's people right now who are in prison around the world. I mean, our chairs are comfortable. And we got nice jobs and cars. And there are people in the world who are in prison today. There are somebody, I don't know how many. I would, it would be, wouldn't it be amazing to know? What if, wouldn't it, it would be overwhelming if we knew how many people are going to lose their life today because they refuse to re reject, Christ, to deny Christ. They're going to lose their life today. They're going to be tortured today, today, right while we're here worshiping God so comfortably in our blue chairs. Some people will pay the ultimate price today just because they love Jesus and they're like going, no, I will not deny Him. I will not. We're worried if someone won't like us if they find out we're a Christian. We're worried if someone won't like us if they find out we're pro-life. And there are people dying because they think Jesus is worth it. Okay, and then He takes control of entire towns and cities and territories Satan has territories, territories. In, in chapter 2 is one example in verse 13 when he's writing to, uh, let me see which church it was, um, the church in Smyrna, and he said, no, Pergamum, he's in Pergamum, and he says, uh, he speaks about, uh, let me see, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Um, so these people were living in a place that was very intense spiritually. And Satan had a throne there, like he was in charge in that, he was in charge in that town. You ever feel like Satan might be in charge in Silva? You ever felt that way? You ever been up some streets and some roads? Any anybody in here works on the law enforcement? You get those calls? You see? You see the drug trafficking, you see um Dirty old men that get arrested for child pornography and child molestation. And where's all that? Who's, who's, who's behind that? Who's leading that? Absolutely. And, and, and so there are actually places where Satan has strongholds, real strongholds. Real strongholds, really. You, there, you ever been in a place and you just felt evil? 
You've been there? You've been in a place? And you just, you, in a community or up a street or like some feels evil. You ever been on a mission trip in one of those dark places in a dark country? And, you're, and, and even there are people who didn't even think such things existed and they go to certain places and they go, I don't know, I was something, never felt that before. I just felt this overwhelming presence of evil. And it's because it's right here in our Bibles. If you believe in God, then you have to believe in what God's Word says. And then He strategically places stumbling blocks in the lives of people. And I, I've been, as I was reading through, yesterday I read through the book of Revelation. I just read through it and I was just reading through it and I was just like, wow. And I, I know this in my head and I see it in our culture, but like two of the leading stumbling blocks for, for Satan working is idolatry and sex. And they're like everywhere. Everywhere. Idolatry means it's something you'll love more than God. And that's just like materialism, worldliness. So like constantly, constantly Satan is promoting advertising and television, media, billboards, people, everywhere. He's just like milling. Have this, come on, have this world. Love this world. Love this more than God. Love this more than God. Love this more than God. And sex is like everywhere. It has been from the beginning of time. It's just everywhere. It's just like sex is so on people's brains and minds and it, it leads them into all kinds of problems and territories and Satan knows that. So he's very effective at using that, those two things to create havoc. And then he is Abaddon, the, the Hebrew rendering, and Apollyon, the Greek rendering, um, sending up troops from the abyss. There's a picture in Revelation 19 where it's like he's sent to the abyss, but he sends up troops. He sends out his troops and his armies and demons and he binds the unrepentant so they continue in demon worship. And he at times appears to have the upper hand. It just looks like, you ever feel like he's winning? It, it feels like, if I didn't know this book, I'd feel like he's winning. Would you feel like he was winning? If you didn't have this book, I'd feel like he's winning. It looks like he's winning. So far more people are following him than following God. The, the news is very reluctant to tell about God's victories. Not unless they absolutely have to. And then if someone starts talking about it, I'm not like, quick, get the mic off that guy. It's like a, if a, a, you know, like a professional athlete who wants to give glory to God. It's like, well, quick, switch over oh, now to this reporter. It's like awkward. You can just tell the people often feel awkward when someone's trying to give glory to God. And that's because it's not part of this world system. Okay, and then um, he gives great power to this world and evil empires. Look at uh, Revelation 13. Verse 1 and 2, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Um, that beast, there's a beast rising out of the sea. Um, in verse 11, there's a beast rising out of the earth. And these are uh, servants of the, the dragon. So this beast rises out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems. That represents uh, ruling powers. And they have blasphemous names on their heads. So what in the world are ruling powers doing with blasphemous names on their head like they they're like they want to blaspheme God because God's a threat to their authority you go mess with the world's authority you will you will arouse them and awaken their venom it's kind of like in the Roman Empire why did they hate Christians so much is because Christians started speaking out about the the sins of the Roman Empire and that Caesar couldn't be, he's not a true God. And they called him out. And it awakened venom and fury. And so 
he gives power to world empires and he writes 666 on people's, it says their right hand and their heads and like he wants people to identify. He wants people to be marked. He wants them to have markers on them, on their bodies and their lives that represent him. So he's like, I want you to have my mark. And I don't think it has to be a literal six and a six and six on your head. I, I think it, 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 it can be. But I just think there are things that clearly identify and mark Satan and are part of his kingdom. It's like, yeah, wear that. Put that on your body. Show that. And it's not a, you know, we think it's funny in a game. It's not, it's not a game to him. It's not a game he's promoting. He's advertising. And be careful that you don't wear his advertisement. Don't put your advertisement on yourself. I mean, you're a child of God. Let that be known. Let it be known you're a child of God. And then you'll see that people might not. Some people love it and they'll go, go, brother. And some other people are like going, oh, this old hypocrite over there. One of those enemies. But leave, that's all right. Um, does this match what, how he's described through the Bible? Let me list these. In the Bible, same thing, same messages through the Bible. And I've got a bunch of verses you can look them up. He's crafty and seductive. He tries to get believers to curse God. He will actually try to get you to curse God. That's what he was trying to do in Job. It's like, let me see if I can get Job, God's man, to curse God. If you feel like cursing God, something's behind that. If you get Satan, remember Job was a powerful believer. And Satan's goal was to get him to curse God. And guess what? He got mighty close. Job's like, I can't take anymore. I can't take anymore. You ever felt like you can't? Like someone, Job's wife said, curse God and die. You ever felt like someone was encouraging you to do that? Curse your God. What good is your God? You claim this and this about God and look at your situation. And there, that's Satan trying to get you to curse God. It's like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't recognize where that's coming from. And he will try to seduce anyone, even the Son of God. Remember Matthew 4? What was Satan doing in Matthew 4? He was trying to seduce the Son of God. You don't think he'll seduce you? You don't think he'll try to seduce you? He's seducing the Son of God in Matthew 4. He didn't do it. He didn't succeed. But he succeeded with us. He will offer you the world. That's what he was doing. He's like, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross to get the world. I'll give you the world. You don't have to, you don't have to go the hard way. And Satan comes to people and says, I'll give you the world. You serve me? You want, you want riches? You want money? You want that job increase? You want power in this world? You want to be, you want to um, go join the local whatever and we'll make you powerful and you'll get in with the, you'll align. You know that's what some of these clubs are. Some of these, these things are like social clubs. The, uh, um, oh heck, what's the, oh, I can't, my name, my name, my name's blank. Not Shriners or Masons, there we go, the Masons. It's like, what's that about? It's like, join this club and you'll be connected with the world power around the community. That's demonic. It's not of God. That's not from God. And, and then people join and they're like going, well, I don't really... You know, same thing we would say with the Bible. If you're a Christian, read the book. And if you want to join the Masonic Lodge, read the book. It's full of curses. They blaspheme and curse God. And people think, oh, this is a good, it's a business club. Well, of course it is, but who's behind it? Satan says, I'll give you the world. I'll give you this and that. Okay, and so um, then he'll offer you the world. He's like a hungry lion who's hunting for a meal. And guess what the meal is? Mmm, Christian. That's the meal. 
He will attack your mind, 2 Corinthians 11.3. He is a master of disguise. He, he going to dress up like an angel of light. He'll dress up like a preacher man. He'll dress up, bless up like the worship leader. He'll dress up like your school teacher or whoever. He's a master of disguise and he'll come. He'll even dress up like an angel of light. He is a liar and the father lies. He'll lie to you. And he is a thief and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job. That's, what, that's who he is. It's not only his job, it's his very character. It's his nature. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. And he can get into your head and make you think to do something totally against God's will. Remember when he got into Peter's head and Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. It's like, hey, that thinking is stinking. That is not of God. He's, he says, that is the worst idea you've ever had come out of your mouth and it's not from you. Get behind me, Satan. It's like, that comes from Satan. And Peter was saying, oh, Jesus, don't go to the cross. And he says, that's Satan. And he calls it out. And then we have uh, another situation where he, he, the Bible says that Satan entered into David's thinking. David's a man of God. And it, he incited him. It says the devil incited him. The devil went into his mind and said, hey, why don't you count Israel and brag about how big your army is? And he, he got in his head. He'll, get it. He'll put some ideas in your head, my friend. You ever had some ideas and you go, man, where did that come from? It's, it comes straight from the enemy. He is ever firing ideas into your head. And you've got to recognize where those things come from. Some people will say, oh, this is like a sweet idea. I think it came from God. Well, not if it's not biblical, it isn't. You know, if you think an idea came from God, then you should find it in here. You should be able to find it in the, in the Word of God. Okay, and then... Um, he schemes and strategizes all the time. He works in the power structures of this world. That's back to Ephesians where it talks about authorities and principalities and uh, rulers in dark places. That's what he's talking about. And that's what Paul was writing about in, in Ephesians, what we got there. And then um, he's very skillful. He can put a thorn in your flesh. With Paul's thorn in the flesh, he said it was a messenger from Satan. It's like from Satan to to cause him pain. He can attack your body. He can physically attack your body. In Job 2, it says that Satan attacked his body and had all these pains and sores and boils. And he leads the, the great rebellion in the world. He's the leader behind the rebellion of the world. He is the prince of demons. All right, he leads them. He commands them. He directs demons. All the demons are under his authority. All of them. They do his bidding. There's demons everywhere. Millions and millions. I don't know how many. There's just... Boodle, caboodles of them like tons of them and he commands them he sends them and he sends them to every town every community and he sends them out and he steals the gospel right from under people's noses in Mark chapter 4 it says as soon as the gospel preached he's swooping in remember this, the parable of the seed and the sowers and it says the word of God goes out and before it barely even hits the ground and can even take root it snatch comes up and you wonder how come when so and so goes to church they never listen because Satan is snatching that seed before it even hits the ground it's like why are some people not becoming a Christian they're hearing the same gospel I heard how come three people on the row and two of them aren't interested at all and they're like going the one person is broken down and they're crying out to God and they're like going man I want to get right with God right now and the other two people are going when will this over I hope McDonald's is open What's in the world's going on is Satan is entering into their minds and snatching the powerful gospel. That's how tricky and clever he is. And people don't even know what's going on. Okay, and then 
Um, and this one I think is so important. So important. He works in harmony with your sinful nature. Like He's got a lot to work with in you. And we have this thing, and you see this warfare in Galatians 5, and it's like we have this flesh. These things are appealed to us, and he's like, he knows it. He sees it, and he works with that. He's clever. He's like, let me work with that. Okay, this person, this guy really likes girls. I'm going to work with that. I'm going to work with it. This girl really wants attention. I can work with that. I can work with this person really wants to be successful. I can work with that pride and I can get in there and I can work with that pride. And this person really likes religion. They love to have Bible talks. Well, I can work with that. I'll make them a, a professor at Duke University, a theological school or some liberal theological. I can work with that. I can work with that. And he finds what you've got already in you and he will work with it and he partners with your flesh. And the thing is people are like going, no, no, that's just me. You have this flesh and Satan can work with what you've got and it's natural to us, it's part of the fall that we come into the world with a depraved nature and we're born with inclination in certain directions. And so when someone tells me, someone tells me um, I was born lesbian, and I say, no, you weren't, you were born a sinner. And that's all Satan needs to, he can work with that. It don't have to be a certain kind, it's just like I'm born sinful. So when people claim they're born with that, I go, well, so was I. I was born with the same stuff you were born with. I was born with a sinful nature, I had to be rescued from my sin. I don't blame everything on my sinful nature. My sinful nature explains to me why I do what I do and where I end up where I do. It's not that I have a certain little quirk about me. It's I have something really big about me. It's called my sin nature, and I love sin, and I will explore all kinds of sins. Your sin, my sin, your sin. We explore sins because we like to sin. We like to sin. It's in our nature, and so Satan knows that, and he's got a lot to work with, and he starts working with us. And then people go, oh, no, that's not of Satan. That's of God. That's a good thing. That's, it's in me. It's in, my, it's in my DNA. It's in my genes. And it's, God's going, no, no, it's in your heart. And you're right. You do have that in you. You did get that at birth. But it's not what you think. It's not an excuse. It's the reason you sin. It's not an excuse to sin. It's the reason you need salvation. You need Christ. Okay? So... These last ones are real simple, and I just want to hit on them because I, that's where I want to end. So the overwhelming number of people in the world do not realize which side they are on and the consequences they will experience. And so on the day of salvation, and Peter stood up and preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, the people said, now what? Now what? What shall I do? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. He said, come to Christ. That's the answer. So my whole purpose here is if anybody in here and you're not a Christian yet and you go, man, that's one bad dude, the devil. That devil's one bad dude. He said, he ain't nothing. He's a piece of cake to Jesus. He's a bad dude in front of you because you're weak and, and you're, you actually line up with his strategies very well. But he is no match for Jesus. So why don't you change sides? The answer isn't, oh, no, I need to go hide and look for the devil everywhere. It's like, no, no, what you need to do is run to Jesus. And let Jesus be, lead the fight for you against Satan and against your flesh. Let Jesus lead. So what shall we do? Believe on the Lord Jesus. That's, what, that's, what, that's the first thing you do. Believe on Jesus. See Jesus. Number three, God wants you to hold your ground. If you're a Christian, God wants you to hold your ground, fight for souls, and carry out His will for your life. So Ephesians 6.10, it said, um, Be strong in the Lord and put on... The strength of his might. Like, get into God. Christian, get into God. Like, get into Jesus. Be strong. Look to him and see his strength and see what he offers you and pursue, pursue Christ. And then join the Jesus team and get, get excited about the work of the gospel. 
it's like dive in. It's like, man, soul winning and, and seeing people saved and professing faith in Christ and being baptized and identifying with Christ. Let's build up the Lord's name in the earth. And he's like, that's what, we, that's what God wants you to do. Hold your ground and fight for souls and carry out God's will in your life. And then four, Satan and his army will never stop trying to defeat you and will be ever scheming to make you ineffective and cause you to question your position in Christ. So James 4 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So resist the devil and draw near to God. Like what are you supposed to do? He's real, you're in this war. And it's like, instead of freaking out all the time, God says, well, draw near to me. Put your focus on me. Turn to me and then, then we'll fight him and I'll lead, I'll lead the fight. Okay, and then lastly, always keep the back of the book in the front of your mind. Okay, I just keep the back of the book, Revelation, in the front of your mind. I always think we win, we win, we win, we win, we win. Can you say that? I like that. Yeah. Um, man, you look around and you see all the stuff going on and you remind yourself we win. You're struggling, you, you see Satan and he's conquering, he's, he's attacking people and he's assaulting, you go, we win. And then, then you get to tell people we win, don't you want to come over here? Come over here, come over here, we win. Come over here, come to Jesus, come to Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I share with you why I think we win? Can I share with you that, you know, you look and see and say, oh, you know, the world's going to go, the, the worlds are depending on who becomes the next president of the United States. The world depends on who's running the thing. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything depends on Jesus Christ. And people get all worked up on what they think is the solution. There's only one solution. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one solution. Okay? Um, 1 John 4.4 4, You are from God and have overcome the world. For He who is in you is greater than He is in the world. Okay, I think that's enough to leave you with. He who is in the world is greater than he. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Will you say that with me? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Again, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So when you're facing temptation and you tell yourself, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. My Lord is greater than the devil. My Lord is greater than this world. My Lord is greater than the obstacles facing me. Okay? So what are you going to say when you feel overwhelmed by something Satan's up to? Well, the first thing you're going to say is, we win. I don't normally encourage people to call someone a loser, but you have absolutely my, my, my permission to call Satan a big loser. You loser, you big loser. Satan, you are a loser. And you're losing people as the gospel goes out. And guess what he is in this room? He's a loser. How many people have told Satan one way or another by switching sides that he's a loser. Are you walking with God? You love God? You want to walk with God? Then he's a loser in your world. He's a loser. And how many people, is there anybody in here who's ready to call him loser? You ready to say, Lord, I'm just ready. I'm ready for you to be my king and I want to call Satan a loser because I'm giving my life to him today. I'm giving my life. I'm switching sides. I know what you're up to. I went to church today and they told me what you're up to. 
and you're going to try to snatch the seed before it hits the ground, and I'm not going to let you snatch that. You've done that to me 48 times already. I've been to church 48 times, and I'm still not a Christian. And today is 49, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn to Christ. Would that be awesome if someone did that today? You want to do that today? You know what you do? You call out to the Lord in your heart, and you say, Lord God, I'm coming over. Coming over. You got room over there and one more? One more, one more for me? I'm coming over today, God. Someone want to say that? I'm coming over today, God. I'm coming over. Why don't you stand up? Stand up. Let's all stand up and we're going to sing. And there's someone who's ready to come over to the Lord's side. Then I'm just going to encourage you in your heart. You just come over as we sing this praise and say, Lord God, I'm ready. I'm ready to change sides. I want to walk with the Lord and I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. You can do that as we sing this closing song. In your heart, just say, Lord God, I'm yours. I surrender today. I ask you into my heart and my life. Forgive me for my sin. I've been rebelling against you. I've been running from you. And I come over today, God. I come over to the Lord's side and I want to be new in Christ. You can do that. All you have to do is talk to God while we're singing. You talk to God and you say, Lord God, today is the day I come over. And if you do that, if you come over to the Lord's side today, then you tell someone before you leave this building and say, I am on the Lord's side. I have changed sides. Changed sides today. I encourage you to do that. And you'll never regret it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this glorious day. It is a day of victory. It is a day of remembering what you've done for us. And Satan is a loser. That's what we believe, God. And Jesus Christ is the Lord and King of all. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no shadow.